Listener Production. Hi, Sasha Barbagat with you. Welcome to The Briefing. Cryptocurrency had a wild ride in 2023. Two of the industry's biggest players, Sam Bankman-Fried and Shangpeng Zhao, found themselves facing court for fraud and money laundering charges, respectively. Last year also saw a push to clean up the space to potentially make it more attractive to mainstream investors. So what does 2024 look like for crypto? We need to protect consumers, we need to protect investors. People need to start thinking clearly. You can't put all your savings and all your money into crypto. That's completely insane. That is our deep dive in the second half of today's episode. First, though, Katrina Blowers is here with me for the headlines. It's Thursday, January 25th. Hello, everyone. Well, Anthony Albanese is preparing his defence after breaking a key election promise to deliver the Morrison government's stage three tax cuts in full. So after days of speculation now, the Labor caucus has voted in favour of changes to the policy, which was passed in 2019. The full details are going to be revealed today during the PM's press club address. But we have an idea of what they're going to mostly be. A lower tax rate is set to be applied to incomes under $45,000 from 19 to 16%, and that will ensure a tax cut of $804 for all taxpayers because, this is good news, the rates apply sequentially. Now, the 30% rate will likely continue for people earning between $45,000 and $135,000, but those taking home more than that, well, they're going to continue paying 30 So anyone earning over 190,000 and Sasha, that's about 5% of the population will pay the top rate of 45%. Now that's despite Anthony Albanese saying many, many, many times he wouldn't change a thing under the original stage three plans. Uh, So a flat rate of 30% would have applied to those people earning up to $200,000 a year. Yeah, what it essentially means, it's a lot of numbers and a lot of percentages, and it essentially means a bigger tax cut for low and middle income earners. But it is a huge political risk for Anthony Albanese. He's going to have to convince the Australian public that he can be trusted after breaking a promise he'd vowed to keep. Now, of course, as expected, the coalition is jumping on this. Uh, Speaking before the full details of the changes were known, the Liberal Deputy Leader, Susan Lee, said there was, quote, no way in the world that the coalition would support what she called an attack on aspirational Australians. And look, if the coalition doesn't support the changes, of course, it's all well and good to announce something, but it actually has to get voted through Parliament. The government is going to need Greens and crossbench support to get these amendments passed. Uh, At this stage, it does look like it will likely have the support from the Greens and the crossbench. Uh, But yeah, we are shaping up for quite a lot of political back and forth over this issue. Yeah, look, though, I think that this is super black and white thinking whenever, you know, somebody says that they will support a promise or a piece of legislation. And then, as Anthony Albanese has said, circumstances have changed. So, you know, we have to pivot to reflect that. I think at the end of the day, it's a pretty tall order for either side of politics to ask people to support them ideologically 
on not giving low-income earners a bit of a leg up and um, making sure the big end of town is looked after. I think there's going to be a lot of people cheering about these changes. Queenslanders are once again bracing for rough weather as Cyclone Kiralee prepares to make landfall later today. The system, which is currently a Category 1, has already brought damaging winds to the Sundays and could strengthen to a Cat 2 as it heads southwest. Now, the path is roughly expected to track towards Townsville and possibly stretching as far either side as Ingham and Bowen. Authorities are worried about the potential for a double event, so the Bureau of Meteorology is warning that the danger won't be over until long after Kiralee has passed through because there's the risk of flooding likely in the coming days, Katrina. Yeah, anyone who's spent any time up in far north Queensland knows the locals up there are made of pretty tough stuff. This is not their first rodeo. They've been sandbagging and prepping for days. Um, they've been told they could have power outages for up to a week. So there's going to be a big rain band, as Sasha mentioned, that's going to spread. At this stage, it's looking like it's going to track mostly west and inland. So around Longreach and places like that could get some um, potential flooding Uh in the southeast, so around the Gold Coast and Brisbane, some events that were going to be held this long weekend have been cancelled as a precaution because there were fears that we could get some wild weather on the, the tail of that cyclone as the system moves down the coast. But look, so far, fingers crossed, it's looking like that rain band won't stretch as far south. But um, yeah, good to get prepared anyway. Northern white rhinos on the brink of extinction have hope after a landmark IVF procedure was carried out on their cousins, the southern white rhino. For the first time ever, scientists have successfully transferred a lab-created rhino embryo into a surrogate mum. There are currently only two female northern white rhinos left, with the species technically extinct because they can't reproduce. Now, the species was once found across Central Africa, but illegal poaching has wiped out the population. Uh, There's a big demand for rhino horns, sadly. Mm, And there are currently 30 northern white rhino embryos that exist. They're all stored in liquid nitrogen and they were created with sperm from two males who have since died uh, and one of the living females. The procedure wouldn't save the species with the embryos they have. So scientists are also working on creating rhino sperm and eggs from stem cells to go on to produce embryos. The magic of science, this is just incredible. So how this is going to have to work is that the embryo is going to have to be carried by a southern white rhino. So that's the cousin of the northern white rhino uh, because both of the females of the northern whites are too old. Now, the project has taken years and has had to overcome many challenges, stretching from working out how to collect eggs from the two-ton mammals to creating the first ever rhino embryos in a lab and trying to establish how and when to implant them. Again, Katrina, the magic of science. This is just incredible. Can you imagine being the scientist tasked with that job? So uh, what we need you to do is just go in and get some eggs and sperm out of one of these rhinos. You'd be like, "Mm, you couldn't pay me enough money. I know, but hopefully it's uh, really good news for the future of the northern white rhino and hopefully the scientists are successful. And Aussie cricketer Steve Smith has joined Test Captain Pat Cummins in calling for the date of Australia Day to be changed. Uh, look, I think, um, you know, I was speaking to Scott Boland about this just the other day and, you know, 
as Australians, you want all Australians to celebrate that day, I suppose, and all Australians don't um, the way it is at the moment, which, um, yeah, maybe, maybe that is the way forward um, to have all Australians celebrating on that day. That was Smith there referring to his Indigenous teammate Scott Boland. Cummins this week stated his support of celebrating the day, but on a different date. Yeah, all of this comes after Cricket Australia was, of course, hit with criticism this week after confirming there'll be no use of the words Australia Day during tomorrow's Gabba Test match against the West Indies. Uh, this follows on from Cricket Australia's call in 2021 to drop the term during BBL matches held on January 26. And tomorrow on our deep dive, we're going to be discussing whether the voice referendum has shifted the debate around changing the date. I've noticed a bit of a change in rhetoric in how people are talking about it. And there was a recent survey done. It was by a job site indeed. Um, It found 75% of Aussies that they had spoken to want the option to work on Australia Day, mainly for money reasons. And we threw it out on our new broadcast channel behind the briefing. We asked our listeners quite a few people said that they'd be working. Uh, I also saw one comment saying that they'll be with the people they love, doing what they love in the country that they love. Uh, And another one saying at the beach with family and assorted Aussie paraphernalia. Uh, Someone else said they're treating it like any other day. Uh, But yeah, overwhelmingly, Katrina, lots of people who were given the option to go to work have taken that up. One listener also said that their workplace offers the option of taking the public holiday on another day. So this debate obviously is going to continue rumbling on for a while and there's a diverse way that people are going to be spending tomorrow. And I love that we're also having a diversity of conversations about it because that's how you implement any change respectfully is just by talking about it. So, yeah, cheers for all the listeners, our lovely listeners. We love you. Thank you for um, putting in your points of view and, uh, yeah, getting in touch with us. Absolutely. And you can do that at any time on our Instagram page. You can send us a DM or leave a comment on one of our posts. Just search the briefing. Katrina, thanks so much for joining us for the headlines today. Hope you have a nice weekend. Uh, Next up, it's our deep dive on cryptocurrency and what it's doing in 2024. Cryptocurrency has been around for 16 years. It was invented by someone going by the name Satoshi Nakamoto, but no one's really sure who created it. It was supposed to be a means to conduct financial transactions via the internet without the need for a bank or other financial institution to sign off on the transaction. So it became its own form of currency and it became very valuable very quickly. But crypto has been plagued by instability with soaring highs before crashing back down to earth. If you look at the most famous cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, it's currently trading at just under $40,000 US per coin. Its all-time low was just $67.81 in 2013. Its all-time high was almost $70,000 US back in 2021. It's currently trading at about 44% of its all-time high but more than 57,000% up on its all-time low. So you can see it's a very wild ride. What can we expect to see in 2024? Dr. Dimitrios Salampasis is a financial technologies expert from Swinburne University. Thanks so much for joining us today. 2023 was supposed to be the year crypto was quote-unquote cleaned up to make it more appealing to investors. Did we see that happen? 
Thank you so much for the for the invitation and the question. Uh, look, the crypto space has been going through a lot of uh, volatile phases, and um, it is embedded in multiple and I would say contradictory um, discourses. Definitely, uh, what happened with the uh, Securities and Exchange Commission uh, late 2023 with the Bitcoin ETF um, is giving some signals of some sort of an institutional adoption. However, uh, personally, I find it that very overhyped, taking also into account that all most countries around the globe are looking into putting regulation and putting some sort of a regulatory oversight into the crypto space in general, but also in the digital assets as a more of a broader uh, perspective of crypto. So is it cleansing? I don't think so. But definitely there are some signals around the fact that still there are so much pathogens within the crypto space that gradually governments and institutions are looking into bringing some clarity and hopefully bringing some further adoption. Now, what that adoption means is something I'm happy to discuss with you, but I wouldn't say that we are in the cleansing phase at the moment. We're just more into the beginning to see some potential ideas around how that space could be brought forward. When crypto really started to take off, I want to say in the late 2010s, um, a lot of my friends who were f- fancied themselves as investors were like, oh, I'm going to buy crypto and I'm going to get on the market. Since then, and in growing numbers, I'd say, it's viewed more as a scam or that it's fake or that it's not safe. How valid of a place is it for us to park our money in something like crypto? So, First of all, if we talk about crypto, and there are different types of crypto, but if we take, for example, Bitcoin or, or, or you know, the publicly, or sorry, the, the, the ones which are unbanked, we're talking about assets which are unbanked, so there is no backing. Then we're looking into assets which are highly speculative. That's something very, very important. We're looking into a space which has not been properly regulated and there is no real regulation behind. And basically, if we look into the mainstream approach of crypto, there is basically at the moment no virtually economic utility. So basically, most of it, it has been used as a speculative way and also a way, you know, for people who fear of missing out. So lots of them have been, you know, putting money. They have been playing around. They, some of them became rich. Some, some of them lost their money. But yes, crypto has also been used for, for scams. We have seen also... Um, lots of money laundering issues, some recent examples uh, of, you know, even having been used to fund uh, military operations with terrorism, Hamas, and so on. So all these conflicting news and conflicting discourses create a gloomy picture, which doesn't really resonate with an investable asset, which brings stability and which brings security. What about the fact that it's so volatile and so unstable? You know, we'll use the Bitcoin example. It's gone up and down and up and down and absolute insane highs and crashing lows. Is it ever likely to be a more predictable kind of form of investment? Are we likely to see stability in the space? The purely native cryptos, I don't think so, because they're totally unbacked. So basically, they're not backed by a real asset or a basket of assets. And we have seen that quite a lot. And this is why personally, I believe because of this kind of massive volatility, it can never serve as a proper currency. It will probably remain as an asset class, which is at the moment what it is. And this is why also lots of people are investing, lots of people are looking into holding some sort of crypto. But uh, as you as you just said it perfectly, uh, for me, this massive volatility, I would say is the biggest challenge for crypto to become more adopted. 
as a um, uh, unit of account, you know, as a, as a means of of transacting. Which and we haven't seen that at all all these years. Even though there has been some approaches, uh, let's say in in a couple of countries that they try to integrate crypto as part of the payment system, it didn't happen. And I don't think it will ever happen, at least in its current format. Last year saw the convictions of two of the sector's big players, Sam Bankman-Fried and Shepeng Zhao. Was that an indication, and you kind of talked about it a little bit already, uh, but that authorities are paying closer attention to what's happening in the crypto space? Yeah, I totally agree with you. And look, I mean, for me, it didn't come as a surprise because the, because you see all these people playing with so highly volatile assets in a space where there is no regulation, there is no there is no policy around how do you actually bring this into the mainstream market. And there is also so much scams from, from different players. And we've seen also a lot of discussions around the fact that there are different countries that completely ban, let's say, mining, or they are more open. So all this has created also companies that use this kind of volatile assets to create, you know, empires such as the FTX or or Binance. But at the same time, you saw that these companies basically had no real foundations. And that led to this kind of convictions. On the one hand, Sam was brought into jail where the the, the Binance uh, CEO had to bail out. I think he had to pay approximately $4.5 billion. So this is what the lack of trust in, in the industry creates, all this kind of discourse that basically is so harmful for the sector itself. And I think definitely there's going to be more more push from regulators to actually nail all that down because definitely the space has a lot of good stuff that we can bring, especially the technology of of blockchain, but that the damage and the trust that all these kind of peripheral news are happening and then bringing in the space is so, so uh, destructive. Mm. Let's drill down into that a little bit then and look at Australia specifically in terms of government regulation. You mentioned ASIC before. What are we seeing locally in terms of government oversight of cryptocurrency? So um, I was looking yesterday at some some information. So basically, currently in Australia, we've got approximately 4.6 million people holding or owning some sort of cryptocurrency. Only because of the FTX um, uh, you know, scandal, 50,000 Australians were affected. And, you know, were affected means basically losing their money, which is something in the 21st century with so complicated and sophisticated regulation that shouldn't be happening. So we're looking at a real deficit in, in consumer protection. Now, there are some interesting tools and some interesting initiatives that the Australian government has been putting in place, and there has been an ongoing conversation. The first one is the new uh, licensing regime for crypto exchanges. This is basically a, a, a draft legislation which we're going to be seeing by, uh, I think, 2024 by the Treasury, which could, though, take until 2025 to see actually a proper uh, legislation where Australian digital asset platforms need to have a license issued by ASIC. So that's something which is currently ongoing. The second one uh, is the token mapping consultation exercise also uh, brought together by uh, Treasury and it went through a couple of, you know, rounds of seeking uh, submissions. This is actually a mapping against existing uh, regulatory frameworks to see where different tokens fit. So basically providing some clarity around what is a token, what are the different types of tokens, what is the utilization, and how would they fit uh, within existing regulatory frameworks. And then the third one we're looking at is what RBA is going to be issuing sometime in, uh, I think, 2024 in relation to their research on central bank digital currencies, which is slightly different push 
um, against you know the mainstream crypto. But this is put broadly in the context of tokenization, and tokenization basically means having a digital instrument that represents a real asset which sits in the real world, and that's something that Bitcoin or Ethereum don't actually do. So I would say in principle, these are the big spheres, but I think the biggest one is the new uh, licensing regime for crypto exchanges, which is going to be massive. What do you see playing out in 2024 when it comes to cryptocurrency? Look, from a regulatory standpoint and policymaking standpoint, I think that there is going to be further push. Definitely, we're going to be seeing more governments pushing for, for regulation and pushing for, you know, um, I wouldn't want to call it surveillance, but more of a supervisory approach. I think numerous cryptos that sit out there, I think I was looking at some stats around 20,000 exist globally. Most of them will disappear because there is no utilization. It's interesting to see how this uh, Bitcoin ETF is going to play. As I indicated before, for me, it's a hype. And to be honest, I was very, very skeptical when I was reading the news by um, the Securities Exchange Commission. I mean, it's so weird to see that on the one hand, the commission is approving such an instrument, while at the same time, Gary Gensler says bluntly that we don't support Bitcoin. So how on earth do you actually approve an instrument when you don't support its underlying you know, foundation, but it's a bigger question here. And there has been a lot of discourse in relation to this on the fact that this is not what crypto is meant to be. But look, crypto, I think, is here, is going to stay. Uh, but definitely, I think the evolution is going to be quite different. But uh, what I would like also to mention is the fact that still it's associated a lot with scams, with illicit activities. We still see that. I was even reading a piece in the Wall Street Journal the other day on the fact that even China has banned crypto completely. There are still ways of actually um, people to exchange in crypto and use crypto. So for me, yes, it's going to be there. Still, I think the speculation and fluctuation and volatility is going to happen quite a lot. As an asset, I don't really think this is ever going to be a currency. So all of these, you know, create an interesting discourse and an interesting conversation, which I'm looking forward to see how all this will play out. But what we need to really to protect, we need to protect consumers, we need to protect investors, people need to start thinking clearly, you can't put all your savings and all your money into crypto, that's completely insane. We really need proper consumer protection and information. It's such a huge topic. Like you said, there's so much to consider, but really appreciate your tips there at the end and appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us on The Briefing. Thank you so much for having me. That was Dr. Dimitrios Salampasis there, a financial technologies expert from Swinburne University. And just a reminder, we're not financial advisors and you should seek financial advice before investing in crypto. Certainly don't take anyone else's word for it. That's all we have time for today. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check back the Savo at three for our deep dive on surrogacy. And if you'd like to get in touch with us here at The Briefing, maybe you have an episode idea or you want to have your say, just go to our Instagram page and send us a message. Simple as that, The Briefing on Instagram. And while you're there, make sure you join our brand new broadcast channel behind The Briefing, where you'll get a little behind the scenes look at how things work here, what we do. And also it'll give you a great avenue to share your feedback. I'm Sasha Barbagat. Thanks for listening. Listener.